Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. How's Agnes and Bill? Oh. oh my. Well, I can understand why they're not here then. So, but uh, want to make sure they're doing okay. Um, in terms of announcements, not much new in terms of you know how we're supposed to go about uh, doing things, other than, <clears throat> like I said, the. Uh, Bishop has given the okay to sing as long as we're spaced out far enough and masks are being worn. And uh, Tom, did you say you were going to look at getting one of the little plexiglass things? Because then, okay, because then that'll make it to where people can sit a little further forward too and kind of open up some of the the front up for seating as more more people start to uh, start to come back. Um, aside from that. Uh, tonight, uh, the Lenten cluster service, I haven't been very good about announcing those, but the Lenten cluster service tonight is at, uh, Cornerstone and I'm actually speaking tonight. So I'd appreciate your prayers with that. But, um, I think, uh, at six thirty, yes, six thirty tonight at Cornerstone. So I think that's about all I've got. Um, slowly but surely we're getting things kind of pieced back together and we're, we are getting there. Um, yes, thank you. I'm a little fuzzy this morning. Um, so we're coming up on Holy Week. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday and that, that begins Holy Week. So, um, because of it's mainly for space and also internet access because we wanted to make sure and put the the special services on online um the monday thursday the good friday and the sunrise service will all be at sandoval um there's a little bit more space to accommodate more people that want to come and also we have internet access so that we can put it on facebook live for those that don't feel comfortable coming, but they do want to to try to watch it. So those services will be, so Thursday night and Friday night, both of them will be at 6.30 in the evening. And then the Easter sunrise service will be at 6 a.m. So I know that's early. I know people will be like, oh, not real big on getting up early, but we are trying to plan something special uh, they don't even know what we're doing at Sandoval, mainly in terms of kind of how we're going to decorate and kind of get things set up. But for the, for the Monday, Thursday and Good Friday service, you just come in and sit down as, as you would, uh, spaced out of course, but, but you just come in for the sunrise service. We're actually going to meet out in the parking lot over by the fellowship hall. And if, if you come to that, you'll find out why. So, um, don't want to spoil anything. It's not going to be an outside service, but we are going to start out there and proceed into the church. So um, those of you who are curious and feel like getting up early enough to be there at 6, uh, hope to see you there. Um, that is about it. Uh, we will, there will not be communion at the sunrise service. We will have communion at the regular services that way we have communion at sandal and and here both um it'll still be the little little peel off packets for the time being and yes we'll need to order some more of those and i can get 
you the link for that. I think we can order those through Amazon and get them in just a couple days. So it's not a... <clears throat> huh? Oh, you've got them. Okay. So we're, we're good on those. And there won't be any meals. I'll, uh, I kind of think that that's obvious, but just in case anyone was wondering or concerned, there will not be a meal with the services this year just because of stuff. So uh, hopefully next year, I mean, you know, last year we didn't have church. This year we're going to have church. Hopefully then the next one, everything will be pretty much as it used to be. So that's, that's kind, of the, kind of the goal. So we are moving in the right direction so far. Um, hopefully there won't be any big spikes coming up here soon, but if there is a bit of a jump, hopefully vaccination will keep it from going as high as it did in the wintertime and it'll go back down quickly. I know there's concern about all the spring breakers starting to have their spring break now, so hopefully they'll behave themselves, and if they don't, hopefully the impact of that will not be as bad as it was last year. So, anyway. But I am fairly confident that we will be able to have our Holy Week services. So, all that being said, uh, let's open with a word of prayer today. Gracious, holy, and loving God, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this beautiful spring day that we can be gathered here into your house. We thank you as we prepare for Holy Week to come uh, to remember the sacrifice of your Son and to celebrate the joy of his resurrection. Lord, we pray in these coming weeks that you'd be with us, that you'd protect us and guide us and direct us. We pray, Lord, for our service today, that your words would speak to us in our spirits, that we would grow from them. Let your Holy Spirit work within us, Lord. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us worship God today, for God is good. God has blessed us with life, with faith, and with community. Let us worship God today, for God is good. God give us, encourage us, and love us. Let us worship God today, because we are all God's people.
come to our time this morning of sharing with each other and with God our joys and our concerns. Do we have joys to lift up today? I'm glad to have the Ellers and Deanne back with us. It's good to see them. Yes, and it looks nice. I came out last Sunday after church and trimmed a few limbs off of it. Thank you. And we'll see if we get a good wind out of the west. Yeah. See if it hangs up any. If it does, I can try to get some more. This is the right size flag, so you won't hit that limb. Okay. Unless that line gets loose. Yeah. I got a new rope. I'm going to put it on later. It was too cold the other day. So we tighten it up a little bit. Well, it looks good. Yeah. Let's pray for Agnes. Hopefully she gets some rest. Well, let us prepare our hearts today for our prayer time today as we sing our prayer song. Let us go to the Lord in prayer today. 
Gracious, holy, and loving God, Lord, we come to you today, your grateful and thankful people. We come to you thankful for the sunshine and the spring. We thank you for the Easter to come. Gracious God, we come to you bringing you praise for your goodness and your blessings upon us, your people. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us of our failings, take us and shape us into the image of your Son, that we might go into the world and share your love with others. Holy God, we come to you today thankful for answered prayer. We thank you for your healing hand at work in our lives and in the lives of those we love and know. Lord, we come to you praying that you be with those who are sick, that you bring them healing and peace. We pray for those who are grieving, that you would give them your courage and strength. We ask, gracious God, that you would guide us and direct us and help us to be your people. We pray, Lord, that you would be with our doctors, our nurses, and our military and our law enforcement, Lord, our healers, our peacekeepers, and peacemakers. We pray for all who serve, but especially the friends and family of these churches. We lift them up to you. We pray, holy God, that you would uh, be with our leaders in government, that you would give them wisdom from on high, that you might work through them to do your will. And we look forward to that great day when your son uh, brings his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Holy God, we come to you praying most of all for those that do not know you. We pray that you would use us as your ministers to share your love with them, that all might come to know the name of Jesus and be saved. Father God, all of these joys and concerns we bring to you this day, and we lay them down at your feet in the name of your Son, Jesus, knowing you hear our every prayer. And in the power of your Holy Spirit, we come to you this day praying the prayer that your Son, Jesus, taught us to pray. Our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
And Amelia, you can eat. If you want to sit where you're at, that's fine. Or if you want to come up to one of the closer pews, that's fine too. Whatever you want to do is good. But we're going to have just a short little children's message. Delia and Charlotte, yep, you need to leave Unicorn up there. You and that unicorn. story about Charlie. Yeah. Is that okay, Charlie, if I tell him a story about you? Yeah? <laughs> this week, um, well, first of all, I'm going to talk about what our, our sermon is going to be about today, and that is when God saved his people from the army of Egypt. They were stuck in a spot, and, and it looked like there was no way out. And the people were starting to say, is God's plan not going to work out? They were saying, is God's plan not going to work out? Is everything going to go bad here? But you know what happened? You know what God did at the, at the water? Do you remember what he did in Prince of Egypt? What happened with the water? He opened up and made a road in the water, didn't he? You remember when they walked? walked in between the two big waves and they could see all the sea animals deep in the water. God made a path for them and then after they made it across, he closed it up and that Egyptian army wasn't able to come after them anymore. God saved his people even though it looked like a hopeless spot. And it reminded me of something that Charlie had said earlier this week he came to us of a morning and said he had had scary dreams. And he said in his dream, he dreamed that Jesus had come to help. But then he said for some reason Jesus' plan didn't work out and he was sad. And I told Charlie, what did I tell you, Charlie? Did I tell you that Jesus' plan always works even when it seems like it won't? Did I tell you that? You remember that? told Charlie, I said, no matter what, if Jesus comes to help us, he, he will help us. And there's nothing in this world that can prevent Jesus from helping us. <clears throat> and I told Charlie, I said, you want to know a way that you can let Jesus know that you trust him? And he asked what that was, and I said, you can be baptized. And Jesus, or Charlie, what did you say whenever I said that? You said that you'd like to be baptized, and, and you said you want to you want to get baptized in the big tub like like Amelia did. He said he'll bring a swimming suit. <laughs> he wants to get baptized in the in the big tub like Amelia did. Amelia's not quite sure yet. I think she thinks that maybe she'll just want a little bit of water on her. She said she said I get my clothes all wet. <laughs> but but when we trust Jesus. And he comes to help us. His plans always work out, just like it did with Moses and the people of Israel at the Red Sea. And we need to always remember, Jesus always comes through. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for these kids. We thank you for the love that you've shown us. 
We thank you for giving us uh, the confidence to know that you will always come through for us. That when you have made a promise, you always keep it. Help us to always trust you and follow you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can go back. But remember his cabbage. Yeah, I remember that. Delia. Our scripture for today comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 14. And we are going to go, I think, through the whole chapter. It's, it's not terribly long. It says, Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by Pi-Haharoth, between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore, across from Baal-Zephon. Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind. Changed their minds. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel, who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near Pi-Hiharoth, across from Baal-Zaphon. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, Leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. Then the angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptian and Israelite camps. 
As darkness fell, the clouds turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and Israelites did not approach each other all night. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground, with the walls of water on each side. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from these Israelites, the Egyptians shouted. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. When all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, Raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered over, covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. Of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground. As the water stood up like a wall on both sides, that is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last week we looked at how God chose to work through a man, Moses, in order to begin the plan to deliver his people from enslavement. We also talked about how this deliverance also foreshadows the greater enslavement of all of humanity to the power of sin. The powers that cause us to put a variety of things in the highest place in our lives that only God deserves. We began to look at how God is going to use Jesus to be, to be the deliverer that all people need once and for all. But deliverance from an oppressive, enslaving power does not come easily. Moses will go many times to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh will not comply until the plagues on Egypt become severe to the point of destroying the entire empire. Likewise, the enslaving powers of sin and death do not intend to let humanity go without a fight. What we see in Exodus 14 is God decisively acting to deliver his people while simultaneously doing justice against the enslaving power so that they may never enslave his people again. 
And this also, again, foreshadows what Jesus will do on Holy Week. And we will begin to look at that path that Jesus will follow of freeing his people from sin and death starting next Sunday. As we begin in this text, and it's kind of like what I talked about with Charlie, sometimes God's plan doesn't make an awful lot of sense to us because God tells Moses, have the people camp in this certain spot. And, and basically without, because the name, first of all, the names are hard to pronounce. It's hard for me up here to try to announce some of these places. But the point is, is he has them camp in a bottleneck. And if you know anything at all about military strategy, you don't ever want to camp in a bottleneck because you're putting yourself in a spot where if the enemy comes up behind you, you don't have anywhere to go. God is basically saying precisely, I want you to camp in a bottleneck. And he even goes as far to say, because I'm going to have the Egyptians chase you. Prior to this, and I mentioned one of the plagues of Israel last week. I'd mentioned the turning of the Nile into blood and how that was also a form of judgment because the Egyptians had used the Nile River as a means of executing and killing the male children of Israel. The Nile was the life source of Egypt. Without the Nile, the Egyptian empire was, was lost. So they were using a source of life to cause death and God brings judgment against them by causing it to turn to blood, which, you know, water turns to blood. You can't water anything. It's toxic. So ergo, they're so, they've, they've abused this source of life and now it's being taken away from them for a time. And all of these plagues progress to the final plague, which is death to the firstborn. This, again, is a reflection of the judgment. This is, this is a judgment against Israel because, again, Egypt had ordered the death of all of the male children of Israel. So God is just saying, look, what you have done, it's, it, it's more of a consequence than a punishment. Sometimes we have to be careful. God does do justice and he will punish when necessary, but we need to be careful of getting this picture of a God that's ready to throw lightning bolts on people at, you know, the drop of a hat. There's a difference between justice and, you know, terror. And this is justice. This is doing justice against an oppressive empire that had built its empire on the backs of slaves that had killed the boys of the slaves. And now they're just getting back on themselves what they had done to their slaves. So the plagues culminate with the death of the firstborn and the people of Israel leave Egypt. And they go out, and in fact, it's, it's gotten so bad that the Egyptians are giving the Israelites gold and jewels and clothing, saying, just get, we're, you're, you're the reason why all this bad stuff's happened to us. Go, we don't want to see you anymore. 
But one last time, Pharaoh changes his mind. Pharaoh changes his mind multiple times throughout the Exodus epic. And if you want to read just the part of Exodus that deals with the what I call the Exodus epic, read chapters 1 through 14. This is kind of the end of it here. Pharaoh changes his mind one last time and decides to go after the tribes of Israel. The most powerful army in all of the world at that time is going to come up on the camping Israelites in a bottleneck and pin them against the sea. And you also have to understand the sea in Hebrew and Semitic culture represents chaos and death. If you go to chapter 1, of Genesis, it talks about in the you know talks about in the beginning, and it says the spirit of God went across over the surface of the waters. The waters represents chaos and death. God brings creation out of the chaos. He brings order to the chaos, and it's partially because of that reason. You never see Israel have a large navy. They do for a very brief time during the reign of King Solomon. But it's not for military purposes. It's, it's to bring in all of this wealth to build the temple and his palace. But the Israelites are never um, big seagoing people. Yes, you have fishermen by the time of Jesus, but you never see them take to the Mediterranean Sea. So they're bottled up between the army and the sea, which represents chaos and death. The, the proverbial rock in a hard place. And the people of Israel start to cry out to Moses and to God saying, why didn't you just let us stay slaves to Egypt? Instead, you're dragging us out here to die a horrible, horrible death. Sometimes, God calls on the church to go into some places that seem counterintuitive as well. Because you have to remember, God's the one that told them to camp where they did. God essentially is the one that's put them in this place where they're between the Egyptian army and the sea. And sometimes God calls on us, the church, to do something similar. If you look in the book of Acts, the early church goes out to the Gentiles. And that was risky business at the time. But thankfully for 99% of us now, that's the whole reason why any of us are able to become Christians is because the early church, which was comprised mostly of Jesus-believing Jews, started to go out to the Gentiles and say, guess what? This Jesus also died for you. Powers of sin and death do not want to let people go and be free. Even people who want to be good are still bound by a tendency to be self-centered and prejudiced in one way or another. Even in our supposedly enlightened age, I say supposedly enlightened because there's so many things that you look at our culture that does not seem enlightened at all, but seems like foolishness, but I'm not going to go down that road too far. But even now there is a pressure to conform. And we have seen how desiring to stand apart and not go with the flow of the majority of opinion even in our rather liberal society, has at times resulted 
in responses to the people of faith that are harsh. The culture of the world is predisposed to do anything necessary to keep people in its grip, either through enticement with pleasure or fear of retribution and punishment. Many who start out on the Christian walk will hit a point after, as I say, the new car smell has worn off of their declaration of faith where the pressure to conform to the old pre-Christian desires will rear their head and they may come to a spot like the Israelites and say, I was better off before I started following Jesus. And so it seems at times that we get in a spot in our lives where we say, God, what are you doing here? Why did you bring me out here? It seems like there's no way out of this mess. The world wants to destroy us and we have nowhere else to go. Sometimes the reason why God allows us to get in positions like this is so that he can show his power and show that he is superior to the powers of sin and death. If we look at Egypt as representing the powers of death, which they do because the Egyptian empire, like all empires, was built through intimidation and fear and destruction... They are a physical embodiment of the spirits of fear and death. They have the Israelites in this bottleneck and God blocks the Egyptians. It says he becomes like this pillar of fire that blocks the path. So again, it's a bottleneck. They can't flank them. They have to go through this bottleneck to get to them. God's able to block it with essentially, imagine a... Well, and actually they happen sometimes. They call them a fire tornado. If, if a tornado hits a house or a building that's on fire, it'll turn into a big fireball. And essentially that's kind of what we have here. It's blocking the path so that the Egyptian army cannot get to the Israelites while God parts the sea, makes a path for them through chaos and death. After the... Pillar of fire moves. It says that God torques the wheels of the Egyptians' chariots, making it to where they cannot proceed easily. Through Moses, God parts the Red Sea. As I said, he makes a path through chaos and death, leads the people to safety, and destroys the Egyptian army with the very thing that they intended to use to trap the Israelites and destroy them seeing their judgment fall upon them as the waves collapse upon them. And the people, as it says, stand in awe and praise God for his rescue and his judgment against their oppressors. God has chosen not to leave his children to the futility of enslavement to sin and death. God, through Jesus, makes a way for us to path through death and be free from it and from enslavement to sin. At the, and that same path to life will be the very judgment upon the oppressors of humanity. For through Jesus' death on the cross, 
We receive forgiveness and the powers of sin and death are put on display in all their wickedness and all their shame and are judged and condemned. Next Sunday, as I said, is Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. We will see how Jesus came to be the one to live the vocation that we were called to live. To be the snake crusher who will defeat the beast that tricked humanity into captivity to sin and death. To be the one who will care for his brother. To be the substitutionary sacrificial lamb for our breaking of the covenant with God. To be the deliverer from the slavers of sin and death and the very path to life that condemns the oppressive powers of destruction in our world. The story of Genesis and Exodus laid the groundwork for the larger story of the Old Testament that points to Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. Over the course of Holy Week, we will watch the story of how Jesus will fulfill this great work of new creation and how it unfolds in a most unexpected way. But from the very beginning, the whispers of what was to come were already being breathed. The way things are is not how they always will be. Death doesn't win. And as amazing as God's acts to liberate Israel from Egypt were, they will pale in comparison to the fight that he will have with death on Calvary. Amen. As we come to the conclusion of our service today, let us sing our closing hymn, Amazing Grace.
Most gracious, holy, and loving God, Lord, as we depart here today, we pray that you would give us the confidence and the courage to know that no matter where you may lead us, that you will provide a way to protect us and guide us and direct us and deliver us from the oppressor. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength to go to the places you have called us to go to share your good news with all who would hear it. And Lord, we pray for the coming for the coming Sunday and the week to follow when we will celebrate Holy Week once again. We thank you, Lord, that we are able to be back together again as a church. We pray that you bless our services to come. Bless our worship this day. Guide us and direct us till we meet here again. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen and go in peace.